Welcome to the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray, and here we are again for another bonus episode of the third session of the God and Government Conference with Pastor Josh Eaton from Cross Point Baptist Church in Caney, Kansas, and his sermon on applying the sword of Romans 13 to the issue of abortion. Amen. Thank you uh, for the welcome. I am very blessed and encouraged, blessed, uh, blessed by my family and blessed by my church family, uh, many are, who are here, and I'm thankful uh, they made the drive. As uh, when you have a large family of uh, seven kids and the oldest, a small family, okay, a small family, sorry, sorry, a normal-sized family, yeah, okay, <laughs> As, uh, and the older they get, the more spread out they are, so I uh, have kids uh, some are in Kansas right now, and some are in Oklahoma, and some are with us here in Missouri. So anyway, I mention that solely to uh, mention my oldest daughter, who is 18, who is standing outside of a Planned Parenthood in Tulsa right now, uh, pleading for lives to be saved. And she, with her friends, uh, are there, and some other people. So I want to begin uh, our time as... My focus is on applying Romans 13, the sword, uh, to the issue of abortion. And I would like to uh, begin by praying and praying for them as they are there. Uh, Father God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to address these important issues, and especially the issue of abortion in our country. Lord, I pray that uh, you would... uh, Lead your people uh, to do all that is necessary, pleading for in righteousness, uh, for your glory to be known in the truth of this Holocaust that has happened in our country. We pray um, for those today all across our country who are standing outside abortion clinics, Planned Parenthoods, pleading for the life of the unborn, pleading for the fatherless, pleading for those who are innocent and have done nothing wrong. Lord, I pray that you would awaken your church all across this nation so that at least a handful of people from every church in our country would regularly be pleading for the life of the unborn, whether from positions of political authority or simply standing outside an abortion clinic, preaching the gospel that there is another way. And I pray that you would make this message effective according to your purposes for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. Applying the sword to the issue of abortion. Now, I know that many of you uh, from Missouri here have seen the news that Missouri is claiming to be the first state that is uh, abortion-free. If you've seen that news, it is a little bit or much misguided, as abortion is still legal in the state of Missouri. And partially, um, the reasons that the last um, abortion clinic in St. Louis 
is no longer doing abortions is simply because just a few miles across the state line in Illinois, there's an 18,000 square foot facility that does thousands of abortions a year. And so, in a sense, the St. Louis place has been run out of business by competition across the state lines. And further, in Illinois, it is cheaper, or the state pays much of the cost of abortion instead, in ways Missouri does not. In... uh, When it comes to defying the government, the issue of abortion ought to be at the top of the list. It is the most matter-of-fact life and death issue in the the book, The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates, uh, Matthew Twilla, if I'm pronouncing that right, says, of all the tyranny and injustice perpetrated by our nation's federal government, abortion is the worst because it involves the actual killing of an innocent person. Furthermore, when it comes to the issue of abortion and uh, thinking that Missouri is abortion-free, we should note that almost 40% of abortions in our country are, um, are not uh, surgical abortions, but uh, in fact, in 2018, 38.6% of all abortions were early uh, medical abortions. So uh, it is still legal to abort your child in Missouri, and it is still happening uh, in Missouri and across our nation that people are simply taking a pill and aborting their child, starving the child from the inside. So abortion is easy. And it ought not be so. So when we look at uh, Romans 13, uh, I just want to read verses 3 and 4 as we've read this text uh, twice now. But verse 3 and 4, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For it is, God, it is God's servant for your good, But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So, based on basically what we've heard in the messages so far, we've looked at uh, a broad sense, and Brandon brought it down to a more specific sense, and now I'm going to fine-tune it just to the issue of abortion. And so in a real sense, I let them do most of the exegeting, and I'm going to just take and apply what they have uh, shown us from the scripture to the issue of abortion. And, uh, and, and the main point that we need to see from this is that legalized abortion is the government calling evil good. It is wickedness. It is an unjust government that would allow people or anyone to kill the innocent. And we see that that is the government then allowing wrongdoing, the actions of wrongdoing, not just the thinking, but the actions of killing, slaughtering children in their mother's womb. So the government is not being a faithful servant of God. 
They are called to be a faithful servant of God, but they are failing their purpose in serving God in this manner. manner. So I have four overarching points, and these, are, these points are, um, are, are just the practical implications that the government in our country when it comes to abortion is acting wickedly, ungodly, and then what we now should do about that. Um, and what I'm laying out for you uh, based on these things is to abolish abortion, which that is the, the first point I want to make is that we must not regulate abortion. We must abolish abortion. We must abolish, not regulate. And this is the, um, what I'm laying out is the abolition movement premise. And in doing so, it is, uh, I want to point out to you how the pro-life movement, the national right to life, and so forth, has failed to live according to a godly standard and call out what must be done. Because the, the pro-life movement as a whole uh, seeks only to regulate abortion and not to abolish it. So governing officials must seek to carry out God's law and not the Supreme Court's laws or unjust governing uh, laws. The government is not being faithful to God when it seeks to regulate what is an abomination to God. And no organization is being faithful to God when it seeks to regulate what God calls sin, what ought to be abolished. And any movement that seeks to regulate instead of abolish is actually in sin for not calling out what God has said to abolish. So Proverbs 24, 11 tells us to rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. And verse 12 says, if you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Ignorance is no excuse. We must seek to rescue those who are being taken away to death. And the only way to do that is to abolish murder instead of regulate it. Now, I want to give you five, five things, uh, five uh, problems with the pro-life movement and why abolition is the only just and godly stance. Now, some of you might not be aware of the difference between abolition and pro-life, but I want to help you see this. First, um, when we regulate. First, the pro-life movement is about regulating abortion, not abolishing it. And so, um, because all regulations make abortion legal in some sense, that makes it ungodly. Every, every law that is presented to, to restrict or regulate abortion 
by, by what it does not say is saying, yes, you don't have permission to abort a child here, but by implication, that means the bill says you can here. So every pro-life bill, in some sense, gives permission for abortion to take place. You're saying it's not okay to murder here, but it's okay to murder here. Now, if that were, if that, if you can take a, a bill that is presented by the pro-life movement, and you were to apply that to a five-year-old or a ten-year-old, and you would say, well, that ain't right. Why could you kill a five-year-old under these circumstances, but not these circumstances? And you would say, absolutely no, this is a horrible law. And that's what the pro-life movement does to the unborn, to the child in the womb. It says you can't do it under these circumstances, but you can under other circumstances, and that is ungodly. Two, because all regulations make it harder to abolish abortion. Did you know that? Every time a pro-life bill passes, it makes it harder than to abolish abortion. So in a sense, pro-life bills reinforce Roe versus Wade and submit to what the Supreme Court has said, rather than to God. This is what happened in Oklahoma with uh, Senate Bill 13 last year, and why the bill to abolish abortion in Oklahoma did not pass with a, with a Republican-led Senate and House and governor, all who would tell you, we are pro-life. And they would not even hear the bill to vote on it in the Senate. They would not even listen to a bill to abolish abortion. People who are pro-life, and they will tell you, we are pro-life, but much of the pro-life movement, or all of the pro-life movement, does not want to abolish abortion. They only want to regulate abortion. Abortion bills... And, and partially, this is why they're against it. They say that if we abolish abortion, and included in the bill, is that all the other regulatory uh, laws that have been passed by pro-life uh, people then would have to be dismissed. If you abolish abortion, then you have to erase all the bills that gave permission to abortion. Well, yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. But that is the logic behind not abolishing the abortion by the pro-life movement is to say, then we would have to get rid of all these other laws. Ludicrous, ungodly, that is wickedness. Um, in fact, today, if Roe versus Wade were overturned by the Supreme Court, in most states, abortion would still be legal because of pro-life bills that have passed in those states. So if the Supreme Court overturns the laws by pro-life people that have been passed would still uphold and allow for abortions in most states. Now I understand that in Missouri there's a, a, a law that's um, been passed that if the Supreme Court overturns that it would immediately go into effect to abolish abortion. 
But there's still a problem with that, that it submits to the government as God and not the word of God and not God himself. So, because all uh, regulations make it harder to abolish abortion, this is why we should not follow the pro-life agenda. Third, pro-life regulations fail to recognize a child as created in the image of God as the standard. Um, So, many pro-life bills present regulations like the dismemberment bill. Like in Texas, they have a dismemberment bill which says you cannot dismember a child in its mother's womb alive because that's inhumane. And when the pro-life attorney general of the state of Texas a few years ago um, argued this case, what he said was that it did not actually prevent any abortions. He says, yes, this bill only keeps you from dismembering a live baby in the womb. So what's the loophole? They just killed the child in a different way and then dismember it, and still the abortion goes on. But this is touted by the pro-life movement as a win, and nothing changed. Nothing changed. It assumes, and even a bill like that, what it does is presume that the child is created in the image of God to, uh, to, so we shouldn't dismember it while it's alive or at this stage, but prior to, it's okay. What? So the fact that it's here and not here, what, it changes the fact that it's created in the image of God, that that child, that baby girl, that baby boy is created in the image of God. It's a false standard that they're making these laws by, not based in biblical truth. Fourth, many pro-life laws do not even accomplish any fewer abortions. As I said a minute ago in the dismemberment bill Uh, law in Texas. And sometimes they may reduce the number of abortions in your specific state, but they did not reduce them. Let's address Missouri with this issue. Um, Maybe there there are not any abortion clinics actually doing any abortions at this moment, but some hospitals still do abortions, from what I understand. But The abortion clinics that were doing abortions in Missouri, what do they do? They refer them to Illinois and St. Louis, and they refer them to Overland Park in Kansas, and they refer them to Tulsa and Springfield. And so there's actually not less abortions taking place. And this is what many, many pro-life laws do this. In fact, I want to go back. Uh, Right now, in the state of Kansas, there is a House Bill 5019 that is currently uh, in the Committee on Federal and State Affairs. The purpose of this bill is to change the Kansas Bill of Rights. It was presented by a Republican, uh, by pro-life, and it... It, uh, it's called the Value Them Both Bill. Uh, and it says 
because Kansas values both women and children. And then it goes on to say, to the extent permitted by the Constitution of the United States. Okay, there's a couple problems already. We don't submit to the Constitution, but to God's law. And then it goes on to say that it wants to, uh, the people through their elected state representatives and state senators may pass laws regarding abortion, including but not limited to in circumstances of pregnancy resulting from rape, incest, or when necessary to save a mother's life. The right, uh, it goes on saying the value of them both amendment would reserve uh, to the people of Kansas through their elected state legislator the right to pass laws to regulate abortion because there is no Kansas constitutional right to abolish, uh, to abortion or to require the government funding of abortion. Yeah, there's, there's nothing in the Kansas Bill of Rights about this because there shouldn't need to be any. And as soon as you put it in, you make it harder to undo. When, as soon as you put it in, then you've made abortion in the Bill of Rights. You've put it there, even though you're trying to say, I want regulations on it. But what you've just done is if the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, and now Kansas would then have to fight to overturn our Bill of Rights also. This pro-life bill would make it harder to, to abolish abortion. Also, pro-life bills, this uh, fifth, pro-life bills allow legislators to run on their pro-life platform so Christians will keep voting for them again and again and again. You get your national right to life card in the mail and it tells you how all these people voted and it gives them a grade on whether they voted according to pro-life bills or not. What you should see when you look at that card is that every one of those people voted to regulate and not abolish abortion. Vote for people who want to abolish abortion and call murder, murder, because anything else is ungodly. The national right to life has actually not only do have they um, do they always seek to regulate and not abolish but most of the time if not all of the time in Kansas Oklahoma Missouri Texas Arkansas the national right to life or the uh, right to life pro-life movements have been a hindrance to abolition they have actually spoke up against abolition bills, saying, we do, this is unconstitutional. We should not be doing this. And they fight against the abolition of abortion and not for it. And actually, this is sickening, isn't it? And how many times have we voted for pro-life people? And how many times have we voted for a president to appoint uh, Supreme Court justices who are pro-life? And what has changed? What has changed? Many 
in the pro-life movement would say, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll vote, uh, I'll, I'll, be a, I'll be for abolition as soon as the Supreme Court overturns it. You need this permission of the Supreme Court to do what is godly? No. No. We must abolish abortion, not regulate it. The second major point I want us to see is that we must seek equal justice for the unborn. We must seek equal justice for the unborn. And that means here, as we look at Romans 13 again, that the, uh, the government is the avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. But it is, that means that it is a wicked government that fails to carry out the wrath, God's wrath against wrongdoers. So the allowing for murder is the government acting wickedly. And also then, uh, when we think about this, it is an unequal balance. It is injustice to apply the murder of a five-year-old and then go to court and this person receive, uh, receive the punishment based on uh, governing authorities' wishes, whatever that it is, life in prison or whatever the outcome is. But then when the mother decides five years previous to kill that child in her womb, there's no punishment. She simply walks out, smiles, maybe has a few tears, and goes on about her college education, her business career, seeking her preference over the child's, serving up her child on the altar of her ego for herself, and to continue to live many times a sexually immoral life so that she can go on and do the same thing again. The pro-life movement many times says we are for we are we are for the mother and the child. If you are for abolishing abortion, then you must be for equal justice. If the child is murdered in the womb and there is no if there is no punishment for that murder, there's unequal weights. Injustice. We punish murderers, and all murderers should be treated equally, whether the murder happened in the womb or when they're 100 years old or anywhere in between. Murderers should be punished. You cannot abolish abortion if you think that no woman should be punished for killing her child. That is, you can't have both. The mother is equal, either a murderer or not. Now, I'm saying we need to apply this equally. That, that means we take into consideration motive. We take into consideration coercion. We take into consideration all these things, but it needs to go to court and it needs to be applied the same way as every other murder. And to fail to do so is to not be biblical. Many times through Scripture, we're told not to be partial. And if you think a woman should not be, um, 
punished for killing her child, then you're showing partiality. Proverbs 18.5, it is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. Leviticus 19.15, you should do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to, great, to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Exodus 23.2 and 3, you shall not fall in with the many who do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with any with the many so as to pervert justice nor shall you be partial to the poor man in his lawsuit deuteronomy 1 17 you shall not be partial in judgment you shall hear the small and the great alike you shall not be intimidated by anyone for the judgment is god's and the case that is too hard for you you shall bring to me and i will hear it Equal justice. The Bible demands it. God demands it. But the president of the National Right to Life in March 2016 in a press release said, in adopting statutes prohibiting the performance of abortion, the National Right to Life has long opposed the imposition of penalties on women on whom an abortion is attempted or performed. Abby Johnson, who the movie Unplanned is about, who many of you know, one of the biggest pro-life speakers, says, we believe that abortion is the ultimate violence against women and their unborn children. If abortion were to be illegal, I would not support punishment for women who abort. Does this shock you? I hope so. This abortion is still going on today because of the pro-life movement. If the pro-life movement were an abolition movement, abortion would already be illegal in many states. It would have already been abolished in many states. We must seek to bring justice to those involved in the death industry. That means doctors, nurses, mothers, fathers, to whatever degree they, uh, a man is pushing his wife or girlfriend to uh, get an abortion, should also be involved in this justice that is necessary to take place. So we must um, abolish, not regulate, and we must... Uh, got my pages out of order here. And we must seek equal justice, which, um, which also, uh, Psalm 82, 3 and 4, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is the call of God. If you were just to read your Bible and to see what should a Christian stand on when it comes to abortion, if we didn't even use pro-life terminology or abolition terminology, we would just say murder is 
evil. That's the outcome we would see, and that we should be 100% against it. So we must abolish, we must seek for equal justice, and third, we must defy the Supreme Court. We must defy the Supreme Court. We must seek to abolish abortion against what Roe versus Wade said. We, we must do that. And the pro-life stance is that we should submit to the Supreme Court and do everything to regulate it because we can't do anything about it. Our hands are tied. And this has been an issue that's been going around since, for, on for a long time, since 1973, right? And because Christians have submitted to the Supreme Court for decades now, now we have a year where Christian rights are violated and we don't know what to do, but we haven't been doing anything about it for decades already. Because we've been submitting to the government for decades, now we are not to prepare, prepared to handle when the government violates our rights in other ways. And if the church had been fighting to abolish abortion against the Supreme Court all along, we would have been prepared for 2020. So we must defy the Supreme Court. We cannot wait for the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. And any bill that comes up and says that we'll wait is, a, is submitting to, it's applying Romans 13 incorrectly. It is submitting to evil, wicked governments, not godly ones. And it is a failure to submit to God. So, you know, I, I mentioned earlier where we vote presidents to appoint pro-life Supreme Court justices. But I want to ask you, I asked you, has that worked? It hasn't accomplished anything. And furthermore, in 1992, the majority, uh, almost all, except one or two, of the Supreme Court justices had been appointed by pro-life presidents. And in 1992, what did the Supreme Court do in Planned Parenthood versus Casey? They upheld Roe versus Wade. The plan to vote for presidents who are pro-life to support, to, to appoint Supreme Court justices who are pro-life does not work. We have proof that it does not work. The court was overwhelmingly appointed by pro-life people, presidents. They ran on that platform, and you voted for them, and nothing happened. Roe versus Wade is unbiblical. That is the most important thing. But also, Roe versus Wade is unconstitutional. There is nothing in our Constitution that upholds Roe versus Wade. And we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men... All men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life. Life. But our government gives permission to take life. 
We must not wait for the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. We must also stop making laws that submit to the Supreme Court based on God's word and on the Constitution. In Missouri, in 1988, this law was passed and is still in effect. It's uh, 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 Missouri Law 1.205. says, Life begins at conception. Unborn child defined, failure to provide paternal care, and no cause for action. The General Assembly of this state finds that the life of each human being begins at conception. Unborn children are... Protected, uh, protectable interest in life, health, and well-being. The natural parents of unborn children have protectable interest in the life, health, and well-being of their unborn child. And then in 1988, January 1st, this amendment to it went into effect. The law states that this state shall be uh, interpreted and construed to acknowledge on behalf of the unborn child at every stage of development all the rights, privileges, and immunities available to other persons, citizens, and residents of this state. That's great, isn't it? There should be a period right there. It goes on. Subject only to the Constitution of the United States. And decisional interpretation thereof by the United States Supreme Court and specific provisions to the contrary in the statutes and Constitution of this state as used in this section, the term unborn children or unborn child shall include all unborn child or children or the offspring of human beings from the moment of conception until birth at every stage of biological development. You know, there's a lot of things about that are right. The failure is that it submits to the Supreme Court instead of to God. The Supreme Court is bound by the Constitution, and we must not wait for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. In 1857, you have the Dred Scott versus Sanford case that upheld slavery, um, that also involved the 1850 Fugitive Slave Act, in which slaves were not treated as humans. And you know what happened in slavery? People waited for the Supreme Court to overturn themselves. No, they did not. <laughs> they violated the Supreme Court's stand and treated people with dignity. And because they did that, eventually the Supreme Court overturned themselves. The people do what is right and godly and honor God, and it forces in the long run then for the government to fall in line. And this is what we should do now. This is what we should ignore Roe. And not ignoring the Roe decision is what has led to the unjust laws of 2020. Now in the... We, when we look at uh, the Dred Scott case, uh, Vermont immediately uh, made laws against the Supreme Court. The state of Wisconsin immediately uh, 
acted against the Supreme Court and the, the state of Wisconsin's Supreme Court acted contrary to federal Supreme Court in order for all of this to be forced through. Now, some people involved in the process, sheriffs and so forth, lesser magistrates, risked their neck to do what was godly. Some of them lost money. Some of them spent time in jail. But they did what was right according to God and not the Supreme Court. And because they stood their ground like Daniel, and because they stood their ground like the Hebrew midwives in Egypt, and because they stood their ground like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it forced change. And a failure of God's people to stand on God's word prevents the truth, prevents change, the right change. But there's a cost to be paid. But the cost to follow the Lord and to do what is right in His sight is always just. American slavery was a gross mistreatment of people created in the image of God. And if you, were, if you are against slavery, the mistreating of people created in the image of God, how much more should you be against abortion, the killing of people created in the image of God? You say, you say yeah, but that was 1800s. Well, maybe there's some Supreme Court law, Supreme Court upholding currently that states have gone against. Can you think of any? Well, wait a minute. What about 2005 when the Supreme Court ruled in Gonzalez versus Reich that marijuana cannot be distributed by the states? I wonder if any states have violated that one. No. Sure. All over the place we see them violating what the Supreme Court has said. But I suppose the death of millions of children is just not worth the fight. Oh, but if I could just get high, that is worth the fight. Our country loves marijuana more than it loves children. Our co country loves its material possessions more than it loves children. This is ungodly and wicked. We must, we must defy the Supreme Court. And if we don't, then we're not living as Christians. If we don't, we're not following God's word. So lastly, we must submit to King Jesus. If Jesus is king, like we have heard, then anything other than fighting for the abolishing of abortion in our country is a failure to submit to King Jesus. William Wilberforce said, a private faith that does not act in the face of opposition is no faith at all. I would say that's still true today. A failure to fight for abolition 
the abolishing of murder in our country is a failure of faith and trust in Jesus as king. So what should you do? If Jesus is your king, if you are submitting to Jesus as king because he is king, if you're submitting to that, every Christian, in, in my opinion, should stand outside an abortion clinic at least once. If people in your city and surrounding area are being referred to Tulsa, come stand with us at Tulsa. Come stand with my daughter. Come stand with me. I go every Monday to stand and plead for the life of the unborn and to preach the gospel of Jesus. Everyone. You, I can tell you, I could, I, I could tell you um, that you will, you will probably never be more cussed out or flipped off in your life. But it's the truth that we are proclaiming. People love their sin. And when you confront it right in the midst of them doing it, you can expect it not to be received well. But we are not responsible for how it is received. We are responsible for declaring truth. Isaiah 1, 16 and 18 applies to maybe some of us. Wash your hands, make yourself clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before your eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Our lackadaisical attitude toward abortion is maybe something we should repent of. Join me in repenting and join me in acting. Maybe even stand outside the Planned Parenthood in Springfield. You say they don't do surgical abortions. Right, but they give abortifacients. They are killing babies. And you know, when I, a few weeks ago when I started doing this, I asked questions of people who had been standing outside uh, of the abortion clinic in Tulsa, uh, how much good, and maybe that's a question you have, how much good does this cause? How many times do you say, see a baby saved? And the answer to that is we don't know all of them. They told me, this older couple who's been doing this a while, they told me that they've had, on occasion, a car pull up beside them while they're standing outside there and roll the back window down and say, you see that baby? That baby is here because you were here. And they'll ask them, well, did we talk to you? Did we share information with you? Did you take our handouts? And they'll say, no, but we saw your sign and we just kept driving instead of pulling in the parking lot. If you stand there, may it be so that in America, if abortion is going to be legal, that there be a Christian at every abortion clinic 
and every Planned Parenthood standing at every hour they are open so that no one can go unhindered without seeing and hearing truth while they go. May every hour that they are open, people be Christians, godly people be standing there speaking truth, giving alternatives, telling them, we will adopt your children. We will help you pay for the cost of having your children. We will do what it takes because Jesus saved us. He did what we could not do. And maybe you feel like you have no other option, but there is in the body of Christ. And let that truth be proclaimed every place across our land until abortion is abolished. And I believe abortion will be abolished in my lifetime. And I hope you do too. Join me in doing all that is necessary to do this. Let's pray.